This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. How many of you, for you, uh, math is a struggle? Let's be honest. I'm with my hands up. Oh, yeah, hands everywhere. I see those hands. Math is a struggle. I mean, my whole life, I have struggled with mathematics and also English. Um, and you'll notice that as I talk today. Um, and it's my second language. English and then um, science. You know, th- those, ca- those subjects that require formulas and rules, I just never, they never clicked in my head, right? I couldn't keep the rules like I before E. That means something, but I don't even know what it is, right? So math was always hard for me, terrible at it. I remember in third grade, at the end of the school year, my teacher, Miss Pearson, you know, who I love, she called my mom to school. My mom came to the school towards the end of the year, and she said, Andy, you have two options. A, option A, come to summer school, right? Which would mean when all my friends left on that last Friday celebrating summer and its arrival, I would then show up again that next Monday and sit in a room and learn more math, right? And just for me, I was like, oh, I can't do that. And the other was she handed me this workbook, not the Bible, but a workbook, and said, or you can take this home and do this on your own this summer, right? Now, I'm not super intelligent, but I knew this was the way to go, right? I wouldn't have to get up and go to school, summer school. And so, um, I mean, I was so bad in, in school that my parents, they knew. If I came home with a C, man, Andy's our average kid. We're okay with that, right? And they would hang my C-plus work up on the refrigerator. Look at our baby, got a C-plus. It's so special. Because they knew they had, I had my older siblings who took care of the grades, but what my parents wanted was a kid with street smarts, right? And so they got him. I'm not about the books, but I'll survive. You throw me out there somewhere, I'll survive, unless there's rattlesnakes or bears. But other than that, I'll survive. And so third grade, terrible. Jump forward to middle school, seventh grade. I came home with a report card, um, and on their report card was zero, incomplete for math. That didn't sit well with my parents, right? That didn't go over good. And they couldn't say, it's those bad burn video games melting your mind. Because all we had was the bleep, bleep, the video game. Remember that one, bleep? <laughs> I guess that would melt your mind, because that's pretty boring. It wasn't that, it was TV. I would watch TV all the time. So what did my parents do? They said, we're taking TV away for the rest of this school year. I didn't watch TV. I figured out, though, street smarts, I could get on the stairway going upstairs position myself on the fifth step, look down into the dining room. We had a piano that had a mirror on the back of it and see straight across to the living room to the TV set. And I could hear it all. So, Andy, you need to go upstairs. We're going to watch TV, right? Happy Days is coming on. Remember Happy Days? So I would go, okay, and I'd get up on that fifth step and I'd watch Happy Days, which was messed up because Happy Days for me went from when they were in the old Arnold's and then when I could watch it again, it was the new Arnold's. They had new characters. They messed it all up and it ruined it for me all because of math, right? Mathematics, no good. Then I go to college. I had to take these tests before college even started. 
I don't know, I don't think they do this for everybody, just for those of us who were special and didn't do so well on SATs or ACT, whatever those things were. So they came up with my math. I got called in by my counselor, and he's like, Andy, uh, man, you're terrible at math. I said, I know that. This is no news to me. And he's like, well, I've got to put you in a math class, a three-hour class, and you will get zero credit for it, all right? So I was going to take a class at college and no credit. It was like called basic math, right? I have been to school my whole life. And some of you are going, yeah, that public school system. No, I went to private Christian schools my whole life, clueless on math. I was like, okay, I'll take it. So I show up to math class, and I and not, nothing against football players, but I sit down in this class, and it's me and half of the Liberty University football team. I look around, I'm like, okay, this is where I'm at. And so I went for several weeks, and the teacher would teach and write on the chalkboard, and she was going through all this math stuff. And here's the deal. I understand numbers, right? I understand the alphabet. But when you take a number and connect it with a letter from the alphabet, that, my friends, is not natural. It should not happen. It doesn't happen in real life. It only happens in math class, right? So it gets to the point, if you're in college, you've been to college, you know, you get to the point where you can drop the class without it affecting your GPA, which this one wasn't anyways, because it didn't count. But I got to that point, and I went to the professor, and I told her, I said, look, I've got to drop your class. She's like, you understand it. You've got to take this to take another mouth. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, why are you dropping? I said, because you're up here, and your mouth is going, and you're just doing all over the chalkboard, and words are coming out. I don't have a clue what you're saying, and I don't remember what you're saying. So I dropped the class. I'm just terrible at math. Now, how many of you love math? You're good at math. Raise your hand. What is wrong with you people? What is wrong? It's not right. So when Rick uh, asked me to preach today, I thought, I'm going to teach the church a math formula. It's not really math, but I'm going to teach you a formula. Are you ready? You're ready to learn a formula from a guy who's just terrible at math? Okay, today we're going to learn blank plus blank equals blank. All right, and we're going to fill in the blanks as we go. All right, so here you go. First question I want you to think about is what is your purpose? That's the first blank in this formula, purpose. What is your purpose? My younger years, I had no idea of my purpose. No idea, no clue why I existed or walked this planet. I had no, no idea. And therefore, like from my late teenage years to my early 20s, I had a whole string of different jobs because I was just trying to figure out what do I do? You know, I didn't know my purpose. So I was just running through life, just going at it. You know, when you don't know your purpose, it can kind of be a miserable thing. And, and so I did not know my purpose. But in the last 28 years or so of my life, I have figured out my purpose. And it hasn't been, there wasn't a one, all of a sudden, aha moment where I got it. It's been over a slow learning process. But if I asked you, what is your purpose, would you have an answer? And if you gave me your answer, would that really be your purpose? Or was it just an answer? Right? Uh, So here's what I know about Uh, the purpose is, the question is, is it well-defined? Is your purpose well-defined? My purpose, you might say, Andy, my purpose is to love everybody. Well, that's nice, but let me perp, pop, pop, there we go. Pop your purpose bubble. That's hard to say. You cannot love everybody. You can't do it because you don't know everybody. Only God can do that. But you can love those you come in contact with, your neighbors, your friends, people in your family who are sometimes the hardest to love, right? So is it well-defined? 
your purpose. So your purpose defines you, right? It defines who you are. Second thing is this, is your purpose guides you. When you know your purpose in life, it helps give you direction in your life. It's great when you know your purpose because you know what to do with your life. Um, When you know your purpose, how many of you, um, it's hard for you to say no. When people ask you things, it's hard for you to say no. You can raise your hand, no shame, yeah. Some of us have a hard time saying no, right? And we can look at our calendar for the week, and it can be slam-packed full, right? And then somebody will come up and go, hey, can you help me move a piano on Saturday at 10 a.m.? And you look, and you've got no time, but you'll go, yes. You know, you, you don't know how to say no. You can't, when you know your purpose, it's great. It frees you up because you're going to say no to the things that won't help you accomplish your purpose because your purpose is what guides your life in what you do. So as we think about purpose and and it guiding you, we have to understand that our time is very precious, right? We all only, we have, all of us have the same amount of time, 24-7, 365. None of us can make more time in our lives. And I love it when people say, I just need to make more time. Well, you can't. You've already got a limited amount. But you can make the best use of your time when you know your purpose. You take and you look at your time and you go, how am I going to fill my time with the things that will help me accomplish my purpose in life. Nags Head Church um, has a purpose statement. And, and I think as individuals, we should each have a purpose statement. This is why I exist. This is why I'm here on this planet. Uh, because it defines you and it guides you. It's important to have. Nags Head Church has a purpose statement. And this purpose defines and guides us as a church. Our purpose statement is love God, love Others reach the world. Love God, love others, reach the world. If it doesn't fit in that purpose statement, if it doesn't accomplish those three things or one of those three things, we don't do it. It defines who we are as a church. It guides who we are as a church. So in the same way, we should have purpose uh, in our life. We should know what our purpose is in our purpose statement. I have lots of friends in ministry uh, since I live and work in the ministry world and so I, you know, every now and then I get, you know, requests from them on Facebook, hey, follow my church, and I'll do it, you know. And so I stalk people, um, and I watch their churches, and I, I see a lot of churches are just trying to do everything, right? And they're accomplishing not much of anything because they're so spread out trying to do everything. When you know your purpose, it brings you into a narrow focus. And, and instead of being 25% at all these things, you're 100% at this. Um, so it's important. I, I just recently taught a ministry class with um, about 20 people that are church leaders, and I asked this question. I said, does your, does your church know its purpose? And of those 20 or so people, not one of them raised their hands, which is scary that there's churches out there that don't know why their church exists. So um, it's important not only for the church but individually to know it. If I could tell you your purpose, I would. I can't tell you your purpose. I have no clue what your purpose is. I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you about it, help you figure it out, but I can't tell you what your purpose in life is. Imagine if at age 16, somebody walked up to you and said, hey, this is your purpose for life. Boom. Right? Probably a lot of us, the trajectory of our life would have been totally changed. We wouldn't have meandered so much to figure out why does God have me on this planet? I can't tell you your purpose. 
I can tell you, though, that God has some expectations on our lives as Christ followers. And we can look at these expectations and use them to help figure out and formulate our own personal um, purpose statement, purpose why we exist. And so I'm going to go through those real quick, and you're familiar with these. But the first expectation is that a believer connects to a fellowship, to a, a local church. Now, I've been a Christian for a long time and uh, grew up in church. My dad was a pastor, so I've been going to church my entire life. I've grown up in church. Um, I've read the New Testament many times. And in fact, I've spent the last two years slowly and methodically reading through the New Testament. I'm just in James. And I go through, and I think it's a great goal to read through the Bible in a year, but I decided my goal was to read, and when I see enough of what I can work on for that day, then that's enough for me to read that day. Not for Bible study, but for just, this is what I need in my life today. So I've been slowly working through the New Testament, and I've read it several times. And you know what I have yet to find an example of in the New Testament? I've not found an example of a Christ follower who is not connected with a local church. They don't exist in the New Testament. It doesn't exist in the New Testament church. It doesn't happen. Not in the Bible. Um, let me read uh, some ver- a verse to you. You remember Peter, um, on the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter denied Christ, right? He, he was um, scared, nervous, denied Jesus. Something happens in Peter's life about a month later. The Holy Spirit comes in and empowers Peter, and he stands up in front of a huge crowd, and he preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, this Jesus you killed on the cross is the one that died for you to save you. And he shares the gospel with this huge crowd. All of a sudden, Peter's got this boldness. Acts 2.41 says this, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the what? Church that day. About 3,000 in all. That's some quick church growth. All right, he preaches this message. A bunch of people come to know Christ, and they're added to the church that day. You can't find a believer in the New Testament who's not connected with a local church. Some of you have been checking out Nags Head Church for a while. And just let me know. I know we got a group today that's taking our Discovering Life at Nags Head Church class. I'm excited about that. Matter of fact, during the first song, I was out there ordering your lunch to make sure it was here on time. So I'm excited about that. I ordered enough lunch thinking there may be a person or two who's been coming to our church for a while that that hasn't taken this class. And they need to to find out who we are, what we're about, so they can get connected to Nags Head Church. I even, I made the photocopies for Pastor Scott who teaches the class. I made extras last week thinking there may be a person or two sitting there Sunday morning. You got nothing else to do. Look at the outside at the weather. And you might go, oh, we have children. Guess what we have? Child care available, Right? We've thought of everything. All right? You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, I need to. I've been checking out Nags Head Church, and and I need to connect. I need to find out all about the church so I can become, decide I'm going to become a partner. We don't have members. We have partners because we're all in this together. This isn't a country club. We don't have members. We have partners. And you might be thinking, I need to be a partner. I'd like to know more about what it means to be a partner at Nags Head Church. The class is at 1230, upstairs in the loft. You can go in the kitchen, grab your lunch, go upstairs. You can tell Pastor Scott, he's the tall one, and you can let him know you're going to take the class. A couple did that after the last service. They went up and said, hey, Scott, we want to take that class today. We've been coming for a while. I don't even know who they are. 
And so uh, if you're here today and that's you, if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I don't think Naxhead Church wants me to connect with this church, right? Other than tourists, we're glad you're here. But if you're a local guest, you've been coming, and you're like, ah, no, God doesn't want me to connect here, let us help you find the church in this community that you can connect with. It's that important that you're connected with a local church. We'll help you find the church that God wants you to be a part of. If God wants you here, then he wants you to be a partner. It's that simple. So I want to encourage you to do that. So a part of a local church. The other thing is, an expectation is to serve in my local church. How do I know this is true? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. When you serve at Nags Head Church, you're helping other believers in this church grow. That's an awesome thing, to be able to have that kind of impact and influence on somebody's life. Then it goes on to say, so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. And I know you've heard me talk about serving, and I'm big time on everybody. Matter of fact, if you're a partner at Nags Head Church, you are supposed to be serving. It was an expectation of you when you became a partner. And we're big on that. Why? Because here's why. I don't know about you, but I want our whole church body to be healthy. I want our church body to be growing. I want our church body to be full of love. And if that's going to happen, it's going to happen because we're serving. Exciting thing about our church is we have 200 partners. And of that, the majority, other than a small handful or so, are serving on a ministry team somewhere in the church. And that is awesome. That's an important thing to us. It's an important expectation in our lives as a believer. The other thing is, expectation is to share my faith. Um, sometimes we're told things in the Bible that pretty much it's not optional. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, the verse part of the verse says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You can look at sharing your faith as part of, <clears throat> as part of your uh, purpose statement. Uh, also, uh, another one is worship God. Hey, Sarah, can you do me a favor? On that little black table is my bottle of water. Could you bring that to me? Thank you so much, because I'm choking. Uh, worship God. Jesus replied in this verse. Thanks so much. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. With everything you've got, that's worship. When you love God with everything you have, that is worship. We should be worshiping God with our lives. Romans 12.1 And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Another expectation is to grow. Parents, when we brought home those babies from the hospital, we expected them to grow, right? We started feeding them. And boy, did they start to grow. And then we fed them more, and they grew even more to the point where your grocery bill is now every month more than your mortgage payment, right? Or maybe that's just my house because of the four gallons of milk, 16 gallons a, week, a month. I should just buy a cow, right? <clears throat> you expect your kids to grow. It's the same way with us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are expected to grow. And that only happens, doesn't happen just by showing up here on Sunday morning. It happens by opening God's Word and reading it and studying it on our own and spending time in prayer. We're expected to grow. Jesus, in, in the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer, uh, Jesus said, uh, when you pray. Jesus expects us to pray, to talk with God the Father. He did that. He set the example. He would often go off by himself and pray. Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
You can't hide God's word in your heart if you're not opening up God's word for your own self and opening up and studying and learning from his word. Then the final expectation, which may be the hardest, because let's be honest, some people are hard to love. But we're to love others. Matthew 22, 38, and 39 says, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. How did, how did God love us? Unconditionally. That's how we're to love our neighbors. And your neighbor isn't just the person that lives next door and across the street from you. The neighbor is the person you come in contact with. Uh, in, in line at Walmart, at work, wherever you work, wherever you go, those are your neighbors, the people you come in contact with. John 15, 11, and 12 says this. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So we could take these expectations and kind of use them to help shape and formulate our purpose. Why am I here? And figure out our purpose statement, why we exist. Um, But why is it important to know our purpose? It's important to know our purpose because Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus said this in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, I would encourage you to spend some time thinking. And it's going to take time. If you really think you want to figure this out, this is your homework. Spend some time thinking about your purpose and then put it down on paper. Write it out. And then learn it. And when needed, you'll have to adjust it because as life goes on, you learn things, right? And you go back, you go, well, I need to tweak the purpose right here or I need to add to it. So as we learn, we may discover some new things that need to be part of our purpose. But Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew why he existed. He knew why he walked on this planet. Do you? Do you know why you're here? Do you know your purpose? Here's my purpose statement. My purpose is this, to live in a way that pleases my Father, to love others as Jesus loved them, to be the husband and father that God desires me to be, and to raise my children to know Jesus Christ. That's why I exist. If you ask me to do something that doesn't fit into my purpose, I probably will tell you no. Because that's why I'm on this planet, to do those things right there. So the first part of the formula is purpose plus blank. Purpose plus blank. Here comes the blank. And I've shared this story. Many of you know the story. But it's my, for me, it's the best illustration of passion. Purpose plus passion equals blank. What's your passion? In 1987, I found myself, those of you who have heard this story, just tune me out, all right, to start thinking about what is my purpose. Those of you that haven't, you'll love this. Um, In 1987, I found myself standing outside of the the guardrail at the skating rink, Skateland in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I'm standing there, and I look out in the middle of the skating rink, and there she is. I see her. And I was like, whoa. And in my mind, I don't think others heard it, but in my mind, I heard the angels. Hallelujah, hallelujah, you know. It's like, oh, or maybe it was the Vienna Boys Choir. I don't know, but in my mind, I heard, you know, and then I heard Joe Cocker, you know, you are so beautiful to me, you know. It's like, wow, and I turned to my friend Benji, and I said, hey, Benji, see her? I'm going to marry her. Guess what? I did it. Right? Why? Because I saw her, and all of a sudden there was this thing, this passion 
in my life, and, and I was like, I have got to get to know her because I think this is the one. Now, you might think this is crazy, but this is the way my brain works, right? All right, so I see her, and I pursued Misha with a passion. She was sitting here in the last service. I said, I wasn't a stalker, was I? She went, you know, I was just passionate, and I pursued her. I called her on the phone. I couldn't text her. didn't exist. You know, text didn't happen back then. You had to be a man and actually talk to the girl. And then in high school, you had to talk to the girl's dad on the phone or at the door. You couldn't text, hey, Mr. Mr. Jones, can I date your daughter? No. <laughs> hey, if any boy ever texts me and asks to date my daughter, I'm not going to tell you what I'll reply. But he, he will not date her. <clears throat> I'll say, come to my house, son, you know. So uh, passion, I pursued her uh, with a passion. The second part of this for me is passion. What is your passion? Uh, think about it. What are you passionate about? Why is it important to even know your passion? And here's the reason why. Because your passion drives you. You do what you do because your passion drives you. My passion is what drives me. It's the reason why in the morning, at about 5.30 or 5.40, my feet hit the floor. And, and it's, it's the thing I think about when I go to sleep, hopefully at 10 o'clock at night, Please don't text me after 10 unless you're dying. At 10 o'clock at night, and I lay down, I'm still thinking about my passion. It's what drives me to do what I do. Right? I got my purpose. This is I know what to do. Passion, that's the guy behind the steering wheel driving me and taking me on this trip. What is your passion? And I can't explain how it works. If I could tell you your purpose, and I could tell you your passion, if I could tell people that, I would have a show like on the Oprah Winfrey Network, Right? Come sit with Andy and he'll help you out with these things. I can't do that. But some of you I know well. And the more I'm around you, the more I start to see little tidbits of your passion. I can spot that in your life, right? But I know my passions. But I, here's what I know about passion is it will drive you. It is the motivator in life. You do what you're passionate about. If you don't know what you're passionate about in life, then, then you're going to live in misery because <laughs> you're trying to figure out or if you know your passion, but you don't ever get to do anything with your passion, well, that's even worse. What is your passion? What are you passionate about? Many people live that miserable existence because they haven't defined their passion. They don't know their purpose. They haven't defined their passion, and they're just kind of here on earth, floating through life. How do I discover my passion? You can answer these two questions. First one is, what makes me cry? What makes me, when you think about what in life makes you cry and some of you are going Andy we know you you cry at everything look I'm telling you if Kmart closed down and Target went in I would cry if Chick-fil-a moved to this beach the tears would flow freely from me right I cry easy why because I'm a man of passion I have lots of passion so what makes you cry when you see something and you think that's not right and it makes you cry what hurts inside an example it hurts me inside, and I'm, and I'm not lying. I feel pain inside when I see Christian parents neglecting to raise their children to know Jesus Christ. It pains me inside. I hurt for those kids. I feel sorry for those parents. It pains me inside. When I see the family that's, that's part of Nags Head Church that shows up once a month or once every two months with their children, I hurt inside because I know 
that family when they go home, chances are, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but chances are they're not as a family opening up this book and reading God's word together. Parents aren't opening this book and teaching their children what is inside. They're hoping that that once a month or once every two months, can you see the passion coming out? Once a month, once every two months, they'll show up and that'll fix their kids and their kids will be set for life. Won't happen. Does not happen. So I hurt inside when I see that. That's a passion of mine. It drives me. The other one is when I see people with no hope, it breaks my heart. And I didn't realize this about myself until 16 years ago when I found myself sitting outside of Manila in the Philippines in a house with a family. I went with a pastor and his deacons because this, this dad had come to know Jesus Christ. And this dad wanted his wife and daughter to know Jesus Christ. Christ. And so I went with the pastor and the deacons for them to, to witness and share Jesus with, with this mom and their daughter. And I, and I went, and I'm sitting in the living room. And, and, I mean, these people didn't have much at all. You take the poorest of Americans, probably very rich compared to them. And I'm sitting in their living room and, and um, listening to the dad talk, and the mom walks in, and I meet, meet the mom. And then in walks the daughter, Ramilda. She's on crutches. Her leg, three times bigger than my leg, and I'm a fat man. And I looked and I was like, something isn't right. She had bone cancer in her femur. And, and I knew just from talking with the pastor, she had no hope for medical help. None. No hope at all. And that broke my heart. I sat there and I cried for this girl. She was a young teenager, probably 12, 13 years old. And I realized at that point that there's a passion in Andy's mean heart sometimes, but there's a passion for people who have no hope, right? So those are a couple of the things that make me cry. There's more than that, Hallmark commercials. But there's more than that. I don't, walk, I don't watch the Hallmark channel, though, unless my wife asked me to. But what makes you cry? And then the second one is what makes you laugh? What makes you happy and brings you joy in life? When you do it, whatever it is, you're done, you're like, that was the best ever. What makes you happy and brings you joy, makes you laugh. I sat in the room of that family and I was the first American to ever there, enter their home and I knew when I got out in that neighborhood I was probably the only American uh, in that neighborhood in a very, very, very long time, right? And so um, I sat in this living room and the pastor started sharing uh, Jesus Christ with this mom and her daughter in Tagalog, which is what they speak. I don't speak it, but they're, they're, he's, he's witnessing the deacons next to me. He's translating, and I finally told him to stop. I know what's going on. And, and I sat there, and I watched what made me cry, bring me joy, when Ramilda put her faith in Jesus Christ because I knew she has no hope medically, but now she has hope spiritually. When Ramilda's life is done, she will spend eternity with God the Father because she put her trust and faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. And that was a joyful moment for me, looking at a girl full of pain, to know that for her. We came back, I came back from that trip. Our youth group made a big poster for her. We rolled it up, and we shipped that thing to the Philippines that we were praying for. She sent a picture, her school picture back, thanked our youth group for praying for her. 
A couple months later, I got um, news from her youth pastor that she had passed away from the bone cancer in her, in her leg. There was no, nothing they could do. But it didn't. I felt sad, but I had joy because I knew Ramilda. I watched her put her faith in Jesus Christ. Someone with no hope found hope. You see, that's a passion when you see that. What makes you laugh? Here's some other questions you can think about as you think about what's your passion. In what ways does your heart beat for God? What do my dreams and desires drift towards? I'm a dreamer. I dream all the time, constantly. It may be an issue. I don't know. You might be talking to me out in the big lobby there, and I get that glazed-over look. I'm not ignoring you, but all of a sudden, I'm dreaming, right? I'm a dreamer. That's what messed me up in school. I would sit in that classroom, and, and all of a sudden, I'd hear my name, Andy, Andy, and I, yes, ma'am, come, come do this on the board. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because Andy was sitting there dreaming right? What, when you dream, where do those dreams take you? What are you drifting towards? What do I really want to do for God with my life? What motivates me to take action? What do I crave? Now, I know my passions. I don't know if you noticed, but I've, I've taken time to work on this formula in my own life, so I know my passions. First of all, my, one of my passions is food, obviously. I mean, look at me, right? I love food. Some of you maybe have done that book and that study, The Five Love Languages. I'm guarantee, I guarantee you there's a sixth one. It's called cooking. Man, I love to cook. When I cook for people, it's therapeutic. I just enjoy to cook. Um, I cook 98% of the meals in our home. I cook. I just love cooking. I love walking into the house not knowing what's in the house to eat and then cooking something. It's like chopped. It's like the Food Network show, Chopped. That's what my kitchen is. I walk in, I just start grabbing stuff and make something. I'm going to do that when I go home today. I love cooking. So if I cook for you, then you know Andy loves me. If you cook for me, but if you're a terrible cook, don't. But if you cook for me, or you, if you're a terrible cook, you take me to Mama Quan's. You want to speak love to me? Let's go to lunch at Mama Quan's, right? That's, that's my love language, cooking for people. Um, I'm passionate about it. I enjoy it. I watch the cooking channel all the time. Now, some of you grandmas, you know what I'm talking about because I hear you in July. In the summer, you're like, my grandbabies are coming next week. I've got to go home and cook 52 dozen chocolate chip cookies because they're coming, right? Grandmas will go home and cook because the grandkids are coming. They love them. My other passion, obviously, is my family. Uh, my wife and my kids, they're a passion of mine. Um, I love them so much. Um, it, it, Majority of what I do is for them. That's a passion of my life. Camp Kale, Camp Bahamas, they're passions of mine. And why is that? Because I've been going to camps around 28 years. All right? And you take one week of camp times 28. That's a big part of life that's spent at summer camps. Last summer I was at camp four weeks. Right? Why is camp a passion? Because I've seen students put their faith in Jesus Christ at summer camp. I believe in summer camp because it removes students from their distractions of home, takes them maybe out of that bad home life, removes them at most camps, removes them from all the electronics, and they kind of go through withdrawals. But then they're in a place where all they hear about is God and God's love. And I've watched students put their faith in Jesus Christ at summer camp. So I'm a big believer in Camp Kale and Camp Bahamas and what they do. I'm passionate about both of those. Nag said, Church, I'm passionate about you. Uh, I love to see you growing in your faith, uh, people connecting in the church. I love that I get to teach 201 
which is discovering the basics. And I get to sit down with groups of people and talk about uh, the habits, you know, spending time with God, accountability, um, Bible study, uh, being involved in the church, tithing, and scripture memory. I love because then people will say, hey, man, I've been reading the Bible for a month now every day. I love that. I love to see people in our church growing in their faith. I love to see people in our church connecting. That's one of my favorite parts of mission trips. I'm an observer. You may not know that, but I observe everybody. And I'm, when I'm watching it, you, if you look across the room and I'm staring at you, it's because I'm observing you in your natural habitat. And um, I love going on mission trips. One of my favorite parts is when you take two people who back here would never connect, right? Because they're just total opposites or just total different circles of life. And you get them on a mission trip and a mission field and you see that connection. You see people come back as good friends. I love seeing that, right? I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of going on a mission trip is to see what it does in the life of the people in Axhead Church. I love student ministry. I'm passionate about student ministry. You might say, but Andy, you're not a youth pastor. That's true. Because there became a point when I realized um, rather than share the word with middle school kids, I wanted to kind of slap them around. I never did that. I didn't do it. I just, I got a little edgy and grumpy in my old age. And I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm cut out for this anymore, right? But I love student ministry and God has allowed me. Now, he didn't say, Andy, take that 25 plus years of student ministry and just put it on a shelf because now you're doing something different. A lot of what I learned in student ministry, I use in every aspect of the church that I serve in today. But I also get to go, I, there's a few youth pastors that I get to coach and, and talk with and help. And I love doing that. I get to go sometimes and, and speak with youth pastors and help do training. I love doing that because I believe in student ministry. I believe if your kid's in middle school or high school, they should be at the church's youth group on Sunday night. Strong believer in that. Passionate about student ministry. If you don't know what is your passion, your, the H of shape, you learn in uh, Tom's class, Discovering My Ministry, you're, you learn how God has shaped you. And the H is heart, your passion. Take that class in February take Tom's class. If you haven't taken it yet and you've taken my class, you're ready to take his class. If you you took all the classes years ago, you might need to jump back in and get a refresher course. It helps you discover how God has wired you, what you're passionate about. Here's what I know about passion driving you. Um, It's putting Colossians 3, 23 and 24 into practice in your life. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that you receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. You do it enthusiastically. That's fueled by passion. We see Jesus' passion in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see his, his passion. We see his passion to please his Father. He said in John six thirty eight, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Jesus was passionate about obeying the Father. Jesus was also passionate about us. We are his passion. Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He's passionate about us. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I said passion drives you. 
Jesus' passion to please the Father and his passion for us drove him to the cross. Jesus' passion is what drove him. So let's get back to the formula. You got purpose plus passion equals mission. What is your mission? When you can take your purpose, you know why you're here, and you can take your passion, the thing that drives you or the things that drive you, and you can put them together and accomplish a mission for God, for the kingdom, you're doing an incredible thing. And to figure that out, you've got to sit down and it takes work to figure that out. What is your mission? The problem is this. If I don't know my purpose and I can't tie it with my passion, more than likely I'm not going to accomplish my mission, my reason for being here on earth. What is it? that God wants you to accomplish in this life. God has a plan for your life, and knowing your purpose and passion can help you discover the mission that he has placed you on. Many believers sit in chairs and in pews uh, week after week, and that's about the extent of their Christian faith. They show up on Sunday morning, take a seat, and then walk out and do nothing for the cause of Christ, nothing for the kingdom. But when you know your purpose and your passion, When you get up and leave church on Sunday morning, you're going out on your mission because you know why God has placed you here and what he wants you to accomplish for him. Many people are so scattered with doing things. Busyness does not uh, equal accomplishing something, right? You can be really, really busy, 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 and then look back after a week of being really busy and go, what did I even do, right? Busyness doesn't equal accomplishing things for the kingdom. A lot of people are busy. Some know their purpose, and they've combined it with their passion and are living out the mission in this kingdom. What's your mission? Anne, and if you know Anne, and I cleared this with her because I don't like talking about people from up here other than uh, my wife, Uh, but if you know Anne and her family, you've seen her passion. Anne's family is passionate about foster care and passionate about um, adoption. And and a couple of weeks ago, Anne got a call from DHS. Now, Anne's part of our Project Cares for Kids team, which is, is a mission outreach of our church. Some of you are part of that. You showed up on Saturday. I don't know if you remember. It's been a while. But we, we showed up, a bunch of us, and on Saturday, we made a whole bunch of polar fleece blankets. Right? And that was fun, hanging out all morning, making polar fleece blankets that we would give to foster kids when they were taken out of their home to their foster home. Uh, we would take them uh, this polar fleece blanket. Some of you were here that day, and you packed backpacks with toiletries, games, a, a toy, a stuffed animal, something that was age-appropriate for a boy or a girl, and we did that. And they live up there in that upstairs hallway. And so every now and then we get a call from social services, and Ann gets that call, and she takes that backpack or backpacks that she did a few weeks ago. She took three of them, three polar fleece blankets and three duffel bags because a lot of kids show up everything they own in a trash bag, which is pretty demeaning. And she takes a duffel bag, and she goes and takes it to the foster family. It says, here, this is from Nags Head Church. We love you. What, let us know if we can do anything for you. That's her mission. She's taking her purpose and her passion, and she's accomplishing a great mission. Some of you uh, show up as part of Project Care for Kids. You show up once a week at First Flight Elementary School, and you tutor kids. You help them with math. You help them with reading. You're working with kids who were like me when I was little with math. Uh, you're going there, and you're helping. You're giving an hour of your time or however long it is each week to help teachers at school help these kids. That's your mission. And you're not just going there to do something. You're going because you're sharing the love of Jesus Christ with these kids who need help. That's part of our uh, project, Care for Kids. And some of you have been involved in different ways in that. If you want to help out um, at First Flight Elementary School, see Bonnie Beecham 
bonnie at nagsheadchurch.org. That's her email. She'll connect you and get you serving there. What's your mission? How are you using your purpose and passion to reach the lost and dying world that needs Jesus? Some of you, like me, you're passionate about food and, and, and you have, you're just passionate about hospitality. And a couple weeks ago, a bunch of you showed up at Ruthie's Kitchen. You cooked a huge meatloaf dinner for a lot of, a lot of people, a portion of our community who are in need. You cooked a big dinner for them and served them dinner. That's your mission. What is your mission? Purpose plus passion equals mission. So where do I start to get a good base for my mission? Where do I get the foundation? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My purpose, to bring glory to God in all that I do, added to my passion, which let's just pick one of them, the people of the Bahamas, Camp Bahamas equals my mission to go over there and help train pastors. Uh, my purpose to raise my children to know Jesus Christ added to my passion, which is my children, equals teaching them God's word in my home, me teaching them. As we do, we try to do a daily devotion together as often as possible. That's my passion. My, my goal is to produce uh, kids who are Christ followers, my kids. Uh, my prayer for you is that you'll discover your purpose and your passion if you don't know them and you'll put them together to accomplish something great for the kingdom of God let's pray Father God you have uh, given us each a purpose God you've placed in us a passion or passions God that can be used for you and God we know outside of these doors there's a world that needs to know how much you love them and God your way of telling them is through us God help us to discover our purpose and add it to our passion and to get out there and do our mission that you've called us to do and it's in your name I pray amen this has been a presentation of Nags Head Church love God love others reach the world 